All right, last week we began our examination of the letters of Paul to the Corinthians. Uh, These letters are uh, intended by Paul, as we saw last week in the introduction, to be read in the churches. And so we continue that tradition. Our goal is to understand them in their context as they were written and then apply them appropriately to our own context by examination of the text, an understanding of those who have gone before us, and the knowledge found in the church at present as we apply it in a very different context. The context of this letter when it was written was the Roman Empire and paganism. The context that we read it in is uh, the American culture and uh, secularism. And those are not exactly the same, though some of the dynamics uh, overlap and will give us a basis for application. I talked about this last week. I said that when we're looking at these uh, uh, passages, we need to make sure that we have an accurate text uh, and we understand its context. Then we have to look at the uh, way it has been understood by the church fathers and in the case of uh, some of the scriptures, the rabbis as well. And then the reformers and, and others historically. How, what has been the conversation regarding these letters? And then what's the present conversation? So, the Greek text that we have of 1 Corinthians uh, is generally considered to be very good. There are really no variants in the uh, manuscripts that should cause concern for us in the letter. We have a good understanding of the context of the letter. This congregation continued, and even uh, Clement uh, wrote to them. And some of the same problems that Paul addressed were still going on. Uh, So, clearly, the... It was a Baptist congregation. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so uh, we, we have a good foundation for our text and the context. The church fathers and the reformers all commented on this letter. And it is well represented in contemporary commentaries as well. And so if you're reading about those, uh, 1 Corinthians is used quite a bit. So today we begin with the introduction of the letter, the first nine verses. Uh, that we will look at, and at the end I'll talk a little bit about the theme, which I think many of the commentaries miss. Uh, They zero in on some things that I think um, are incidental rather than the primary theme that that Paul is talking about. So we'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3. Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is not an, um, an unusual beginning for Paul. Uh, His Roman letter is similar in the context. But there are some things here that I think give us some background that will help. First of all, uh, Paul identifies himself. Called to be an apostle. He has to be thinking about the events in his life that brought him to this place. I'd like you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9. And we'll take a look at that. Uh, We live in a time when people use the word calling in very loose manner. Uh, 
the calling, uh, many people say, well, someone was called to be a pastor. There's no scripture for the calling of a pastor. The Bible says if a man desires the office of a bishop or overseer, he desires a good work and then he gives the requirements. That's not a calling situation. We've turned calling into everything anybody does. Uh, That's not the way the Bible uses the word calling. But Paul specifically talks about himself as being called an apostle. He's talking, of course, about this passage that I want to read. I'll comment briefly, but I want to read it to you. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what this faith was called. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So early believers were called the members of the way by other, other Jewish people. Uh, as he was traveling, uh, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Paul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. Notice uh, in all of these cases that there is actual voices. There is actual light. There is, this is not somebody feeling like God is calling him. Okay? There are real interventions of God into material reality in these contexts. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. It's called Straight Street. So probably it was a straight street. If you look at old cities, many of the streets were not that straight, right? Uh, And he said, uh, go to uh, Straight Street and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, I dare say. (laughs) He's on his way to get rid of these people. He con- he's confronted by the resurrected Jesus and blinded and told to wait for a message. I'm sure he's praying, right? And he had seen in, he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So he's not, in, he's not unaware. He may be in darkness, but he's not unaware of what God's going to do. Paul has seen a vision of Ananias coming to him, all right? And Ananias said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias not too excited about going. Lord, I've heard about this guy. He's not, he's bad news, right? The Lord said to him, go for he has chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. 
So what we have here is a clear understanding of what Paul means when he said he was called to be an apostle. Ananias went there, he talks to him, uh, so that you will receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes things like scales. He regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. And then he eats. So Paul has a calling. His calling is an experience. This is like Moses with the burning bush. This is not somebody who just thinks they're going to do something for God and calls it a calling. Now I want you to keep that in mind because I'm entitled this called to be saints. Okay? So we need to understand this. Now secondly, Paul says, I'm called to be an apostle. And secondly, he says, and Sosthenes, our brother, is with me. Well, we find out about that and the foundation of the church of Corinth in Acts chapter 18. And again, I'll read it with minimal commentary because I want to get through and back to our text. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. Now, Paul's missionary plan was to establish congregations in all the major cities. Okay? Because people from surrounding areas come into the cities. So if you establish a witness in those cities, it will be known throughout the area. Okay? You don't go out in the middle of nowhere and start a congregation. He started congregations where people would come. And that's why Corinth is going to be so important. He tries to do this in Athens. You know the story of Mars Hill and all of that. But he wasn't really able to establish a congregation there. Uh, Though Athens was a major city, it was simply not uh, 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 going to work. So he leaves there and he goes to Corinth. It's not a long distance over to Corinth. Um, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he came there. At this point, the predominance of believers are Jews. Okay. And the disciples saw this as what they were to do. Uh, even when Peter goes to speak to the house of Cornelius and baptizes them because the Holy Spirit falls upon him, when he comes back, the other apostles are upset with him. What are you doing with the Gentiles? So you need to understand that they didn't interpret the the Great Commission the way we do. They interpreted the Great Commission as going into all the world to the Jews and telling them that God's faithfulness and promises are now being fulfilled in Yeshua the Messiah. Okay? God is going to include the Gentiles in that, but the person he's going to primarily do that through is Paul. He will bear my name before the Gentiles. So Paul doesn't do what the other apostles do. They hang out in Jerusalem. He goes to the diaspora and he will preach to the Jews and as we will see to the Gentiles as well. So he was of the same trade. They were all uh, tent makers. Uh, And he stayed with them and they were working uh, by a trade... uh, of tent making. He was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Corinth has a synagogue and they are uh, attending that and every Sabbath 
Paul would speak, and as the Torah reading and the half-Torah readings were done, he would explain to them that these are related to what's been happening in Jerusalem uh, in recent years and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. It says, when uh, Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now we get this in some of Paul's letters where he says that the Thessalonians, uh, Macedonian groups, gave to Paul when he started preaching and establishing churches, which meant he didn't have to work and he was able to spend most of his time at this point now ministering in that context. Okay? Uh, but he doesn't get a good reception. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Catch this. Here's the synagogue. He goes to the house next door, okay, to a believer. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and were baptized. So now there's a, there's a synagogue split. A split over the gospel of Jesus, and the leader, the president of the synagogue, and his household believe, and others do, but... There is blasphemy and problems, and Paul says, that's it, uh, I'll go to the Gentiles, and he takes these Jewish people with him, and they set up basically a synagogue next door. Only this one is following Jesus. Verse 9, the Lord said to Paul in, by, in the night by a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. This is fascinating. Okay? These are people who belong to the Lord. And they will respond to the message that Paul is going to say. Be careful about thinking of Jews as being completely like a pagan. They are the people prepared for the gospel message. And the Lord says to Paul, just like he says to, to uh, Elijah, I have people in this city. Okay, So go ahead and speak. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So he's doing great. He gets this congregation established. There is now a congregation in Corinth. And then trouble starts. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, that's the region that Corinth is in. The Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Now, Linda and I have been to Corinth, some of you may have been. That bima, that judgment seat, is still standing there, and you can see where, where Paul was brought. And they said, this man persuades men to worship God contrary to the Torah. He didn't contrary to their understanding of the Torah. But that's the accusation, just like the accusation of Jesus was that he was violating the Torah, which wasn't true. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Paul's ready to give an answer, uh, Galileo said to the Jews, if it was a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, Jews, uh, 
it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if it's questions about words and names and your Torah, take care of it yourself. I'm not willing to be a judge in these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. Okay? This is not a Roman situation. This is not a Roman concern. This is a religious fight among Jews, and I don't care about it. Get out of my face. Okay? Basically what he said. And they took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue. So Crispus, who had been the leader of the synagogue, has left because he's with Paul. Now they take another leader of the synagogue and beat him up. They began beating him in front of the judgment seat, but Gallio was not concerned about any of these things. Our assumption is that Sosthenes ultimately becomes a believer and is also part of the Corinthian church. And it's likely that it is Sosthenes who has come to Ephesus to talk to Paul about some of the questions that they have and some of the problems they have in the Corinthian church. And that we now have two synagogue leaders who establish uh, the congregation as elders in the Corinthian church. A lot of commentaries say the Corinthian church was this charismatic church that didn't have any leadership. That is unlikely to be the case. Okay? But just because you have leadership doesn't mean you don't have chaos in a group of people. Now, let me say a word about Corinth and then we'll go back to our 1 Corinthians text. If you uh, get a chance to look at your Bible maps, the, um, the city of Corinth is on a little isthmus that covers the mainland of Greece and then this large area of land called Achaia. And if ships have to go from Athens all the way around this large landmass and then up, it takes them a long time and they're in treacherous waters. But there's this small little isthmus and so Corinth actually, if you stand at Corinth, you can see down where the ocean is. And if you look the other way, the ocean is there. There were two seaports right next to the city. So they could simply put the ships coming into Corinth. They could take stuff off of these ships, bring them over a small little landmass, put them on these ships and go and save a lot of time. So it's a major transportation seaport, perfect place for the witness of the resurrection of Jesus. But... If you've ever been to a seaport town, I grew up going down to San Diego a lot, uh, Long Beach, I've been other places. Sailors tend to be an interesting group, right? So Corinth was identified by some people as a little bit like New York, L.A., and Las Vegas all rolled into one. In fact, the word that was used when somebody was sexually uh, messing with somebody was to Corinthianize them. That's what this place was, which explains a lot of what happens in this book. This is a full-on pagan city, and now there is both a Jewish synagogue and a a Christian synagogue, if you will, uh, in that city. And the people are coming into there. So Paul wants to say something very clear to them 
because the goal is to be set apart. So back to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 2. He says, Those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now this word sanctified means to be made holy. We don't have an English word holy eyes. Those who have been holy eyesed, right? We can't use the Greek word that's here, which means holy, hagios. There is a verb form that you can be hagios, <laughs> right? We don't have that, so we have to borrow from the Latin. The word for holy in Latin is sanctus. And you can be sanctified, so that's what's here. So what's going on? These people have been made holy in Christ Jesus. They have been set apart. Now what's holy? You guys know this? I want to repeat it. Holy means to be set apart for a specific use and purpose. Okay? When I was a kid, my mom had a set of china. And that china was holy. Okay? It was never used for us to eat. It was only used on special occasions. And it was not to be touched at any other time. It was kadosh. Okay? And one day my sister and I decided to make mud bagels and mud uh, donuts and mud fried eggs and mud... I tried to make a mud turkey, but I couldn't get it to stay together. And we used mom's china. And I found out what the wrath of mom was. I'd already known the wrath of dad. I'd never seen the wrath of mom. And it was formidable. I'll tell you that. Okay? Um, Only twice did I see my mom really angry. One time was that one, and the other one was when I called her my old lady at the junior high and didn't know she was there. And when I turned around, she buffeted me all the way across the, uh, I know what buffet means too, so bam, 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 all the way back to the, uh, to the parking lot, okay? Though Satan should buffet, you know, I know that word, right? I know those words. So, holy means to be set apart for a purpose. In this case, it's set apart in Christ for the purpose of God, which is his glorification. Now, Paul says in this this verse, You have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Our calling is not to a ministry. Our calling is not to a school, or a job, or any of those. Our calling is to come into Christ, become His body, so that His body will glorify His Father. And that's the message of 1 Corinthians. It's often misunderstood. We live in a culture where we somehow get this idea of individuality, and it's my calling, and it's my ministry, and it's my everything, and then we ask God to bless it. That is not what Paul's talking about. He says, you have been pulled out of the world, called into Christ to be kadosh, to be holy. You have been sanctified by him, and you are called to be saints. 
so that God may be glorified in what he does in and through you. He says, not only are you, Corinthians, this, but you are this with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Now, this is important. We are called not only to Christ, but we are called to each other. Paul will make it clear in his writings that we are members of Christ, but we are members of one another. There is a community calling into relationship with God and with each other. This is not about individual salvation. This is not about individual life that you want God to bless. This is about dying to self. The rest of the world is going to do their thing. You're going to do his thing. That's what he's talking about. And then Paul uh, uh, is going to go on, but he's talking about holiness. That holiness comes from the context of Leviticus chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 19. Now, in Leviticus chapter 18, the first five verses, God basically says this. When he pulls Israel out of Egypt, he says to them, listen, Moses, tell the people of Israel, I don't want you walking like an Egyptian. Now, he's not talking about the song, you know. And I don't want you walking like the Canaanites. In other words, halakha, this way, this way of living, this lifestyle, is not going to be the Egyptian one that you've grown up in. And it's not going to be the one that's in the land that I'm bringing you into. You are going to walk in my ways and in my statutes and in my commandments. Okay? So this calling to Christ is to come into a community that walks by the word of God. Not by the whims and the fashions of the culture that they're part of. You're going to be my people. And in the same way that your father probably said to you when you said, Well, so-and-so's doing it. He's not my, my kid. Right? God is saying, they're not my kids. You're my kids. You're going to do it my way. Okay? You shall be kadosh. This is the next chapter, the end of that statement. For I am kadosh. You shall be holy, for I am holy. God is a holy God. He will have a holy people who will ultimately occupy a holy land. And we Gentiles are being brought into that promise of that God and that people and that, that land that will ultimately be the capital, capital of the kingdom uh, when the Lord returns. So we're called to be saints. Uh, we've been holyized and we are now to live in that purpose of God. Then Paul says what you probably recognize probably easier than other congregations he immediately, again, from the Torah, takes a passage, Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 and following, and he says, the Aaronic blessing. Now he shortens it. You know the full Aaronic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Paul takes those two things, puts them together and shortens it. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You are now called into holiness. You now have the blessing of God on you 
as a community of faith with all who call on the Lord. And therefore, you need to be ready to act in a holy manner. Which brings us to his next statement beginning at verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. By the way, these yous are plural. Okay. I thank my God always concerning yous for the grace of God which is given yous in Christ Jesus. Right? A little hard to do that, but y'all. Yeah, I don't want to do that because I sound southern. Uh, and in everything, he says, you were enriched in him in word and in knowledge. God has given us his word. He's given us knowledge of, of what he's doing. That is his biblical text and the gospel. We pull out the Torah, the word of the Lord. The scripture says the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The, the Torah and the gospel are, are going to permeate all of creation. And he says, uh, you've been enriched because, he says, the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. They came to the Lord. They came to the knowledge of the Lord. They turned from their ways and began to walk in the ways of the Lord. And then he says, not only this, but he says, so that you are not lacking in any gift. You have been given. He spent 18 months with them. He established them in the faith. And he says, I, you know, you aren't behind in anything. You have received uh, all the gifts of God. While you await eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it? You've been called to Christ to be a holy community. To live kingdom ways while we wait for the Lord to return. Because he died on the cross. He was buried. He rose, sits at the right hand of the Father. He will come again and establish the kingdom. And we're waiting for that to happen. Our job is not to get entangled in this world. Our job is to be kingdom minded in the community of faith. While we wait eagerly for the Lord to return and establish the kingdom. As he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, having said that, he is talking about the revelation of the Lord. Uh, the revelation of the Lord is the second coming, the day of the Lord, the kingdom to come, the full manifestation of God, when all the promises of God will be manifest on earth. And what's going to happen at that point is the Torah is going to be in full force over all the earth. And those who have been resurrected will live it fully. So if you don't like the commandments of God, you're going to hate the kingdom. Okay? Just so you know that. And it's going to be enforced over those who are mortal in that time by the Lord who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. When the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord fills the whole earth, and everyone from the least to the greatest knows him. That's what Paul's talking about. 
Now, John gives us that full revelation of what's going to happen in that process in his book by the same name. That's what we're waiting for. That's what we're focused on. That we're, we're called to that purpose and that hope. So he says then in verse 8, The Lord Jesus will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this word confirming is a word that means to be established, to be made certain, to be made sure. It is a statement by Paul that God is working in this holy community towards a goal. And that goal is that we will be fully established, fully assured, fully matured, and he says, blameless, a term that's used in reference to the Torah. Paul talks about it. Concerning the law, I'm blameless. What did God say to Abraham? Walk upright before me and be thou blameless. Okay? Blameless means no one can accuse you of wrongdoing. So what's the goal? The goal is righteousness and holiness. And we're struggling in the community to become holy and righteous. Not by our own merit. Not possible. But by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and God working in us. So there's a parallel here to what Paul says in Philippians that we all love. God is in you, both to will and to do of His good pleasure... And Paul says, I'm convinced of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. So what is this work? What is God doing? Is he making us successful in our businesses? Is this the prosperity gospel that we hear so much about? No, it's something else. I want you to turn to Romans chapter uh, 8. In verse 28, Paul says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Then he tells us the process. Those whom He foreknew, I have many people in this city, I know who they are. He predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He, meaning Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. What did He do? He knew us. He called us. He called us so that He could predestine us to a purpose, not to salvation, predestine us to be conformed into the image of His Son. We were created in the image of God. We're being recreated in the body of Christ into the image of God's Son. We're becoming the body of Christ. And he says, in this context, 
These whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. This is that process of sanctification that theologians talk about. We didn't get put on layaway. Say the magic words, be on layaway waiting for the rapture. There's a purpose in being called into community that we would function in the body and that body encompasses all who call upon the name of the Lord. What we call the communion of saints. It includes those who are with the Lord. It includes those who are uh, with the Lord on earth and those who will be with the Lord on the earth as we minister in that context. And the goal is the glorification of God. Now, I said that this was a community thing, not an individual thing. I want you to see again from Paul's mindset that that's what's going on. So I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. God is working. He's brought gifts into the church. All of this, he's talking about the unity of the Spirit. He says, uh, he gave these people for the equipping of the saints, called to be saints, holy ones, for the work of ministry. And that work of ministry is the building up of the body of Christ, edification. This is not multiplication. This is not evangelism. This is the building up of the body itself. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we will no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, that's the scriptures, fully enveloped in the biblical text, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, that's you, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now the focus of Paul is going to be the unity of the brethren. What will destroy the calling to holiness? What will destroy the image of God's Son? What will destroy all of the things that God is doing? Disunity. And what is it that Satan does primarily? He sows discord. Among the brethren. Okay. So I want you to see that. So that now we can look at verse 10. Which is the theme of Paul's letter. 1 Corinthians. I exhort you brethren. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you all agree. And that there be no divisions among you. But that you be made complete. In the same mind and the same judgment. Well, we've messed that thing up pretty darn good. 
But we weren't the first ones. They'd already messed it up in Corinth. Okay? So, the reason this book is critical for us is you and I live in a time when the church is focused on division. We're focused on who's wrong and I'm right. We're focused on who did it correct and who didn't do it correct. We're not focused on unity. We're focused on doctrine. We're focused on behavior. We're not focused on relationship in Christ with each other. We're always going to have struggles with the body. There will always be growing pains. But if when you have growing pains, you remove that part of the body, the body will not be complete. And Paul's goal is for the body to be unified and for us to grow in the part of the body we are in relationship to the rest of the body that we can be conformed to the image of Christ in righteousness and in holiness. We're going to see the whole book talking about unity. He's going to talk about people divided over ministers. That's next week. Divided over who baptized them. Okay? They're going to be divided over uh, their gifts. They're going to be divided over their doctrines. The only thing they're not going to be divided over is they're going to ignore major sin in their midst. And Paul's going to say, that's the part that's supposed to be removed. But even that removal is for the unity and holiness of the body. The communion service is about the unity of the body. All that Paul is going to talk about is about unity. A lot of commentators say that Paul's letter is to answer some questions and to deal with some disruptions. He's not talking about Corinth alone. He's talking about the whole body. Because Paul gets that's why he talks about it in all these other letters. It's his major theme is that we are to become echad, one in the Lord. And that's in marriage, and that's in household, and that's in community, and that's in Jewish-Christian relationships. All those things, as much as depends on us, we are to try to live in unity and at peace. Not based on the other guy but based on us. So, unity is the meaning of this text. Now, important. Unity is not uniformity. There will be division and there will be diversity, but the division and diversity is not there to divide the body. It's to bring all the parts together. So Paul will say, the hand can't say to the foot, I am not a part of the body, or you're not part of the body. We need all the parts of the body to function. And we need to pray that the rest of the body functions, and make sure that they're not having to pray that our part of the body is functioning. We should be ready for that. So, we're going to jump into this next week, uh, as Paul begins to express the divisions that are happening in the Corinthian church up against these pagan backgrounds. And I'm going to try to then apply it to divisions that happen in the American church and Southern California church 
in the context of secularism. And I hope it'll be useful for us in that sense. Let's pray.